Today, Colossians 3, 18 to 19, we're talking about love in February. So you knew this was going to come up, didn't you? Husband and wife and that special relationship. And that is what it's all about today. And uh, we'll get to that. I've got a couple of interesting books here. One is entitled His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. His Needs, Her Needs. It's by Willard F. Harley, Jr. And it's a very, very fascinating book in which the author uh, has spent many years in counseling and uh, helping marriages out, and he's got a lot of experience in all of that. And so in the book here, he's writing about a lot of things he's discovered along the way in helping husbands and wives. And so it's a very practical, helpful book, a very interesting book. Uh, he shares a lot of stories of, of uh, actual uh, husband and wife scenarios. And uh, But it's not just a book for those that possibly right now are, are experiencing an affair or close to experiencing an affair or have separated or whatever. But for any marriage, there is stuff that he brings up in this book that is just just excellent stuff. Then I've got another book here that Ron Walker is encouraging husbands to get, A Husband After God's Own Heart, 12 Things That Really Matter in Your Marriage. And you can see Ron Walker. He's got these, uh, I don't know how many copies he's got. We can always order more. But looks like an excellent book, and I've skimmed through that and... Uh, Something in this I'll probably share a little bit later that's very good. And so today I have chosen for my scripture passage a short one, very short, only two verses long. I could have done Ephesians 5, to 33, but I might have kept you here till evening because that is a long passage and a lot of things said about husband, wife, and the family. But the one I've chosen is short, and uh, that's good, isn't it? because that means I should be short. I probably won't, but it's only two verses long. It's simple and it's brief, but it's very profound in what Paul has to say about husband and wife. And so with that being said, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word and see what God's plan is of love in the marriage. Wives, submit yourself to your husband or submit to your husband's as is fitting in the Lord, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You may be seated. In the final chapter of Harley's book here, chapter 14, he entitles the final chapter this, From Incompatible to Irresistible. And uh, so let's let's define this a little bit. You hear about that, don't you? You hear about in a marriage. You hear a marriage didn't work out, and you hear, well, they were they were incompatible. You know, what are we what are we saying when they use that term? Um, what is incompatible? It means these two very words: inharmonious and antagonistic. So you have to kind of picture here a band that's getting ready to play. All the instruments are there, but as they begin to play, you realize they are so out of tune, it, it hurts my ears what they're doing. It's awful. They're not even on time with each other. They're playing different notes. They're all on a different key. It squeals and squeaks and all of that stuff, and it, 
and it hurts your ears. It's everybody doing their own thing, what they want to do, when they want to do it. That is inharmonious. That is an incompatible marriage. Uh, marriages can be like that. Many marriages are like that. Most marriages experience times like that throughout the duration of their marriage. And it's times in which no one is particularly happy or fulfilled. The other word that goes along with incompatible is that word antagonistic, which means to oppose, to repel, to, to be an adversary, to be contrary, to counteract, to contend with. And marriages can be like that also. You've seen marriages like that, where they oppose each other, they counteract each other, they play against each other, they contend with each other, they seem like adversaries and uh, almost enemies, and we've seen that. Now, the goal of marriage, according to Harley in his book, is to move the marriage from incompatible, what I've just described, to where you have a marriage that is described as irresistible. Quite the opposite. That's quite a turnaround. Well, what is resistible? What Harley means in his book here is that it is something that has an overpowering appeal. It's something you want. It means to be drawn to, that it, that it fulfills you, that you like it, that you feel like you just can't live without it. Now think about it for a minute. If you were married, many of you are, which marriage would you want, incompatible or irresistible? We all know the answer to that. So um, let's move on here to Harley's thoughts in his book here. And I want to read to you. I think it will be on the, on the uh, PowerPoint here. I'm going to read from his book this chapter, From Incompatible to Irresistible. It says, When a husband and wife can't get along, we may describe them as incompatible. Yet at one time, we would have called those same two people irresistible to each other. Because they found each other irresistible, they made a lifetime commitment in marriage, and couples that start out irresistible and only become incompatible as they leave each other's needs unmet. When someone outside the marriage offers to meet those needs, an affair starts. Then the lover becomes irresistible. That's some pretty heavy stuff to think about, but, um, but pretty important. You see, an affair starts when husband or wife begins to toy with this little idea, flirt with this little idea, someone else could fulfill one of my really basic needs that I feel as either husband or wife. But here's what Harley has noticed after all these years of counseling marriages in crisis and and so on. He, he boils down the basic needs of a husband and the basic needs of a wife to be in five basic things. And we'll get to that in the end here. There's five basic needs of husbands, five basic needs of wife, and they're kind of different. And Harley said this, when an affair happens, the lover outside the marriage can only possibly, humanly, fulfill one to two of those needs. They cannot fulfill all five. It's impossible. It seems like they think it could happen, but it's impossible. And so I've actually seen this my very own self in working with men who have gotten 
entwined in an affair that for some reason they want the lover and the wife. And the reason is simple. The lover cannot fulfill all five of the needs I have in life. I've got to keep the wife for some of those needs and the lover for the other. Now think about that and don't ever forget that as uh, you would think about an affair. But let's get to God's word on all of this and get to the short version of what makes for a harmonious, irresistible marriage. And uh, so first we're going to start with the wife. Paul does that. In verse 18, the wife's role in what we would call an irresistible marriage is this, submit to your husbands. Paul was writing to, it doesn't that look like a submitting wife? She's just saying, honey, whatever you want. (laughs) But we have to really get to the day and culture in which Paul was writing. Because if you knew something about their culture, you would think, Paul, why would you even write such a thing? It seems like all the wives are already submitting to their husbands. So let's think about the culture that Paul was writing to. A wife was virtually the property of her husband. Nothing like our day. She had very few rights. The husband owned all the, all the property. Her name was not on anything. He made all the decisions. He was almost a dictator. The wife was to bring up the children and be there for his every need. That was culturally expected. That was the role the wife played in that world. And I could go on about it all for a little longer and would also uh, let you know that a wife could not obtain a divorce from her husband. She had no legal rights to do that. She was his property. And so the wife was forced into submission to her husband by the law. She had no choice. It was no matter of the heart doing this. You had to fulfill submission in that day. But here's what happened. As the gospel began to penetrate through the world, the gospel liberated servants, slaves, children, uh, and women. The gospel has done more in this world than anything else combined to making women liberated. Not the women's groups out there. Nothing like that. Not Hillary Clinton. Not uh, whoever The gospel has liberated the woman more than anything else that's ever come along. You see, Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now think about that world that Paul was writing to. That would have all of a sudden, all these men would have thought, What? You're putting my slave up equal with me, my servant up equal with me, and my wife up equal with me. And I'm Jew, but you would put the other races up with me. That's impossible. But that's what the gospel did. It put everybody on the same level. In Ephesians 5.21, Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So not only wives were to submit to husbands, But husbands were instructed to submit to wives, children to parents, parents to children, brother to brother, sister to sister, in the church, everybody to everybody. Everybody was was to submit to everybody else in the Christian world. See, the gospel changed everything. And Paul tells wives then, submit to your husbands. 
And he's also telling to the husband, submit to your wife. So what does submit mean here? Because I have to make a long message, 30 more minutes, out of two verses here. Submit means to be subject to. Actually, it is a word that comes out of military terminology. It is a soldier following in line with the officer and the orders given. Submit. I will get in line. I will play my role. But it actually goes further here in this context of husband and wife because it also means to have respect for, to have admiration for. And it's interesting that in Harley's book, another, and, and remember again, Harley's the expert. He's watched a lot of marriages. He's studied the Bible. He's done all these things to know everything about the, the marriage. And he comes up with this chapter entitled this, speaking of what the husband needs from his wife. He has this chapter entitled, He Needs Her to Be Proud of Him. Admiration. Submission. A very extremely important need that a husband has. He needs his wife to respect him, to admire him, and, uh, and she needs to take on that attitude within her heart that says, I will do that. I will choose that. And the wife who says, I will not do that, is getting outside of God's uh, will, God's plan, for the marriage. And that's what Paul is writing about here. Now, here's what might have taken place. Because you would think, okay, Paul, why would you tell these women to submit to their husbands? They're already his property. They already have this thing out in their minds. They can't do anything but that. But here's what Paul is doing is, he's saying, okay, up until now, you've been forced to do it. Now I'm telling you that God wants you to do it from your heart. Make it your heart. Don't do it with bitterness. Don't do it because you have to. Choose to do it within your heart. So here's what could have happened. Also, with Christianity, with Paul preaching, with all the teaching along this thing, with everybody beginning to realize we are all one in Christ, husband and wife are equal, children and parents are equal, slave and servant and, and master are all equal, all on the same plane, there could have arisen in the group some Christian wives who said, wow, we're free now. Husbands, we don't have to anymore. And might have went a little bit over the line in their newfound freedom. And Paul is trying to get them to say, no, 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 don't think that way. You are still to submit to your husband. But you are now doing it in a new attitude, a new light, a new thing within your heart you're choosing to. It could have also been that there were some women getting saved. And maybe their husbands were getting saved, but their husbands were still pretty immature in their faith and were still living the old life of forcing the wives into submission and being a little harsh. And wives could have come along and said, I'm not going to submit to him. We're Christians now. We've been redeemed. We've been brought into Christ's love and grace, and he is supposed to be different, and I will not submit to him or choose to submit to him Admire him and respect him till he changes really good. I will not do that. And so Paul is writing, no, no, no. God says, submit to your husband. Choose in your heart to admire 
and respect Him. You see, when you do that, you build up His self-esteem. Or His self-esteem is torn down when you refuse to do that. You need to be your husband's most enthusiastic fan. Yeah. He's going to draw more support and encouragement from you if you do that than from anybody else in this world if you fulfill this role for your husband. If you don't respect him, if you choose to be critical of him, you're going to cripple your husband in life. If you do that, you will make him defensive. And a wife needs to approve her husband for what he already is, not for what he could become if you could change him. Now, is any man perfect? By no means. Absolutely not. But if you live out this attitude of of respect and admiration and building him up and being his most enthusiastic fan, you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. That is submission for the wife in the Christian marriage. But notice, Paul does put a little footnote after that. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. Pretty good footnote. Because obviously you are not to admire a husband who is doing what is wrong and admire that about him. You don't overlook things. You don't just uh, lie about it. Uh, If he is in the wrong, you don't admire that about him. But you admire about him and respect those things about him that you find are the good things in your husband. All right, let's move to the husband. The husband's role in an irresistible marriage, Paul puts it this way very simply, love your wives. Now let's go back to that day because the gospel there again was was bringing along revolutionary concepts to society and especially the marriage. See, the wife was his property. He owned her. He had title deed to her. She was his servant. She was to be there at his every whim. She couldn't disagree with him or shouldn't or speak up on issues. But now Paul says, husbands, love your wives. But it's the word love that's the most important thing here. There were basically three Greek words for love. The first one was eros. Eros was that word that was used in that Greek culture that talked about the romantic sexual love between husband and wife. And uh, those husbands were very familiar about that one because they were living in a very erotic society, just like ours. So they knew what that was all about. But in this passage here, when Paul said, love your wives, he didn't use that particular word for love. Okay, Paul, what, what are you talking about? The second word that's used in, in Greek vocabulary for love is the word phileo. Phileo is a higher form of love than eros. It's brotherly love. It means that I'm going to take care of my family and I'm going to watch out for my brother, my friend, and I'm going to watch out for my neighbors, those that are close to me. But phileo love doesn't call you to anything beyond that, really. So you're going to be very good to those within your confines and you'll treat them as a brother and and, uh, that way. That's a pretty good love. But again, when Paul told husbands, love your wives, he didn't use that word. 
He used a word that was basically now a new word that had arrived on the Greek scene, and it was agape. And it was the same kind of love that describes the love Christ has for the sinner. Agape. It was a new word. It was a new concept for the world at that time. Husbands, in other words, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the sinner. Love them as yourself. It's the highest form of love. It means, this kind of love means you will put the welfare of another above your own, which is exactly what Christ did, didn't he? When he went to the cross. It's a love that God had for us before we ever came to him. It's a love that God has for sinners. It's a pursuing love. And uh, you can't get any higher than that in love. And so when Paul instructs us here, husbands, love your wives, he is saying, agapao, your wives, love as Christ love you. That's quite a high love. And so Harley, in his book again, he has a, a chapter that deals with what a wife really needs from her husband. And here's what he writes. The first thing that she can't do without is affection. We men... I don't know, sometimes we just kind of shrug our shoulders. Affection, that's, that's nothing. You know, because what is affection? You know what affection is? It's those little things. It's, it's a hug. It's a greeting card. It's a note expressing love and care that might be under the pillow. It's, it's a bouquet of flowers. It's, it's a dinner invitation. It's opening the door for her. It's holding her hand. It's taking a walk with her, rubbing her back phone call, text message, Facebook. I don't know who would Facebook their wife, but you could. But it's really beyond that. It's communication that just says through all of these things, you're important to me. And I care about you, your life. And I don't want anything to happen to you. And I'm concerned about the problems you face, and I'm with you. I think you've done a good job. I'm proud of you. Affection. Now, here's where men kind of go wrong. We, we say, ah, she doesn't need those things. She knows I love her. Duh. Bring the paycheck home. Do this and that. She doesn't need those things. And, and we maybe think about them, and then we skip over them, and, well, I'll do it next week, but... What Harley is noticing is, after all these years of counseling and what wives really look for and what they really need down in their soul is affection. Well, and here's what we need to remember, guys. You're not doing this for another guy. I know you wouldn't send a guy a hug or a kiss or a text message, or although I know some guys that do that, but... I know you wouldn't do that with another guy, but you need to remember this. You are married to a fragile being. You're married to somebody who is sometimes emotional, physically weaker than you. And she comes in this, this really complex, complicated package, and she's called woman. And she needs affection. Wow. 
And then Paul adds a little footnote to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't be cross. Don't be thoughtless. Don't be insensitive to her needs. Don't let yourself get into a fit of temper. Don't neglect her most basic need of affection. Don't be harsh. That has no place in the Christian marriage. Ask God to keep you from it. Well, wow, we're going to get out of here way too fast. But let's go over the five things, the five basic needs of husband and wife. Let's look at the wife first. Her five most basic needs. And in other words, husband, your your job, your God-given role is you are to be the irresistible man. Here's how to do it. Number one is affection. We've already covered that. She needs that. Number two is conversation. I They once said that somehow... Uh, I think it's changed over the years. But they say how many words a man speaks in a day and how many words a woman speaks in a day and and uh, so on. And I can't remember what the number is, but I know women speak more. Um, but they say that sometimes the problem is the man is, the husband has spoken all of his words and he comes home and he's done. But he's not supposed to be done. Conversation. And so a wife, she needs that. That's the second one of her most basic needs is is communication. Number three is honesty and openness. Just being honest. Just being open. I guess not hiding anything. Uh, You know, a wife needs that. She cannot get into this mode of, I wonder what he's doing. I wonder where he's at. I wonder if something's going on. See, that's insecurity, isn't it? That's what makes for insecurity. She wants security, openness, honesty. It's important. The fourth thing is financial support, which is kind of obvious, isn't it? Uh, That makes her feel good. And number five is family commitment. And... uh, Husbands, I know that that it's true. We work hard. We come home. We're ready to just lounge and do whatever. And we feel like, well, the kids are her job or whatever. But she needs husband involvement as a father and everything else. Family commitment to those things that are important. A woman is automatically geared family, isn't she? That's inbuilt. And if that's true, uh, she expects there's to be this mate that is with me that also is involved in that very thing. Those are her five most basic needs. Well, let's look at the woman now, the irresistible woman. This gets interesting. Might even get a little bit embarrassing. But we'll be okay, won't we? She meets uh, these five most important needs. Number one is admiration. And uh, we've covered that, haven't we? But actually, this is where this gets a little embarrassing, guys. Some of the experts put this next thing as number one and, and so on. But it is, it is simply this. Number two is 
Sexual Fulfillment. Yeah. And this book, I've, I've read ahead in it a little bit. Ron's got for us. And uh, the author talks about he, he did this seminar once and he got all done telling husbands about this stuff, being a husband, and gets all done with the seminar and says, any questions? We got, we got an hour or so for questions. He said, almost every question without exception from those husbands only group to him were about sex. He just had to kind of do a, a turnaround and realize, wow, I guess this thing is pretty important with men. And so it is. So that's number two. Number three is what we call recreational companionship. And uh, probably a better way of wording it, it doesn't mean you have to do sports with him. You have to go hunting, fishing. But it's important for uh, a man that a wife, there is something they enjoy together that's of a recreational nature. That could be so many, many different things. And I know if we had time to, to share this morning, some of you husbands would share some very interesting things, what you and your wives do. But the important thing is you do it. It's important to you. I wish, you know, we almost have time. Phil, what do you and Kathy like to do together? That's that's recreational. That's right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, Jim, I know you and Helen do stuff together. What what do you two like to do together? Okay, good. Wow, that's pretty good. And I know Kermit and Barbara go on these vacation things, surprise vacation, where they don't know where they're going to take you, and they do all kinds of stuff together. Larry, you and Juan A do stuff together. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brent and Tony? Tony, you had the answer. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, that's, believe it or not, in our day and age, sadly, husbands and wives that don't eat together much. And that is big. Enjoying each other's company when you, Barry and Chris, build fences together. No, you, there's something you, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Steve, you and Teresa. Basically, I think with everybody is saying, okay. what we do is we do something okay. It's not like she's off doing her thing, mm-hmm. and I'm off doing my thing. We find something that we are able to spend time doing together, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is that we spend time together. I know a lot of guys want their wives to, you know, 
yeah. with him, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, recreational companionship. That's all these things we've been talking about are are good. Here's number four. This is an interesting one. We call it physical attractiveness. Now, um, is everybody a... Who is a beautiful woman out there? Uh, help me out here, teen boys. Who's... who? Who's that gal that's just really a knockout? Huh? Marcus is trying to be careful here, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, and what's interesting is all these women that come along or that are these whatever you call them, they're only that for a short period of life, right? If you could look at some of those gals, you know, in a different time frame, they're not that. So we're not talking about a woman becoming those kind of things, but we're talking about a woman who says, I think enough of my husband that the way that God has gifted me for the person I am, my looks, my hair, my everything, I am going to do the best I can to be a knockout for my husband. And you know what? That says everything to a husband. It says, she loves me. Wow. She cares about me. And uh, now, husbands, you need to be careful and, and tell her so. But it, it's just a communication of my husband is important to me, and I want to communicate that by what God has gifted me with, who I am. I'm going to be the best I can be. And uh, it, just speaks, it just speaks volumes. And then the fifth thing he calls domestic support. Uh, which has to do with the home, which also goes along with uh, um, similar to number four, except it has to do with the home, that the home is important and you communicate that to your husband. This home, I will do my best to make it the best it can be for us. And uh, there's a lot of ways of communicating that. Here's what is interesting. The, most, the two most common complaints in marriage is people would go to a marriage counselor and say to him, if they would boil it down into two things, uh, or boil it down into, in, into saying to the counselor, here's what I really feel is wrong with my marriage. She says, he doesn't love me, and she says, he doesn't respect me. And that's exactly what Paul is writing about here, isn't it? When he told women... Submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. And you see, our our new lives in Christ should transform our homes to a whole new level. They really should. You know, Christ does set us free in more ways than one. And it will set a marriage free. And uh, the Bible makes marriage a partnership. There is no one that's higher than the other. That is not what the submission is talking about. But is two people together complimenting each other, submitting, loving, respecting, admiring. And uh, when a marriage works like that, it is an irresistible thing to be a part of. Let's bow our heads and, and uh, this will be our dismissal prayer here this morning.
Father, I just pray that you will help us to take your words that you have given to us as Paul has written them down and help us in our marriages, Lord, to to be that very thing that you have brought before us today. Lord, every marriage has to be worked at. It is uh, something that requires something from our heart, from our will. And uh, Lord, we, we have to do that. Help us, husbands, to do that. Help wives, Lord, to fulfill their role. Help any marriage, Lord, that right now if somebody were to say, this is an incompatible marriage that I am a part of, we pray, Lord, that, that your spirit would work and that all of our marriages can be that one that would be described as irresistible, one that would bring glory to you and to others. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. And you are dismissed. <laughs>